Well, we are going to get into it today. And so in Matthew 5, we know we've been doing the Beatitudes for a few weeks now. It is Jesus' first and most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And at the beginning of this sermon, we read about these Beatitudes. So let's go into them again. We've read them a few times, but it's worth, I think we're going to, by the end of this, we want to remember them off by heart, don't we? So let's read them again. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are blessings for those who follow Jesus. Jesus is talking to his disciples. They are, they are given to us in order to bring true peace and freedom. Their intent is to bring the kingdom of heaven down here to earth. That is disruptive of culture, and all of them require humility. They've been described as the face of Christ or the perfect self-portrait of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Each beatitude has revealed more of the character of Christ and more of how we should live in order to be reflections of him. The seventh beatitude is what we're going to be digging into today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, with the Beatitudes being a perfect self-portrait of Jesus, we don't need to look any further than the example of Jesus himself. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for your words. I thank you for the Bible, and I thank you, Lord, that it teaches us, it encourages us, it speaks to us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to make sense of it today, Lord. I pray that it would come to life for us, and I pray, Lord, that my words would not be from me, but, Lord, from you. Thank you for this opportunity to bring your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It's worth noting that Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. To make peace suggests that there is currently not peace, right? A situation could be unsettled, maybe argumentative, maybe a little bit unnerving. There could be an offense or a hurt which requires us engaging in conflict in order to bring about true peace and unity. Peacemaking is often hard in the short term. Not many of us like to engage in conflict or hard conversations, right? But it is through engaging in these hard conversations that we're able to find peace, resolve conflict, find understanding. And one, Jenny Shipley said, I love this quote, peace is a fragile thing. It takes courage to secure it and wisdom to maintain it. Peacemaking requires action. To keep peace, on the other hand, suggests that peace is already kind of there and the desire is to maintain it. Peacemakers do not like to ruffle feathers. Unfortunately, it's how I've, I've described myself at times. <laughs> Peacekeeping is often passive, and it avoids conflict. This can seem like a good thing. However, a lack of conflict does not always mean that there's unity. It can actually cause us to harbor hurt, to harbor unforgiveness, and in the long term, it can actually cause disunity and the breakdown of relationships. Peacekeeping often causes us to feel as though we're walking on eggshells. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. I've discovered that having a toddler is a great lesson in peacemaking. <laughs> Thankfully, Zadie, my 11-month-old, I'm getting nods from the mums over here. <laughs> 
Thankfully, uh, Zadie, my 11-month-old, is not quite there yet, but Finley, my three-year-old, is very much in tantrum territory at times. And um, the other day we were at Farmers and um, she, again, just challenged my ability to make peace in public. And um, she was not willing to leave the shop without a doll, a doll called Annabelle. And I started by speaking calmly and with reason, forgetting she had like 20 years of prefrontal cortex development to go. And I said, you know, Finley, you've got Hazel in your hand. She's your beautiful doll. We've got her. We've got another one in the car, you know. Makes sense. She doesn't need another one. But Hazel was not Annabelle. We went back and forth a few times, and to avoid Finley going into full tantrum mode, I went straight to distraction. Finley, we're having dinner at Nana's tonight. Yay! Let's go home and make some dessert to share with her. And she just didn't have a bar of that at all. And um, instead, she actually replaced, she put Hazel, her doll, on the shelf in replacement for Annabelle and put the death grip onto Annabelle's box. And so we went back and forth again. I got a sympathetic look, actually, from a passerby at that stage. And um, I then tried compromise. Hey, Finley, you know, she's beautiful. Why don't I take a photo of her? And then when it comes to your birthday or Christmas, I'll remember this doll for you. And she said, oh, I want to take the photo. And I said, yes, great, take the photo. And we left with Hazel and not Annabelle. How glorious. <laughs> you take the moment, eh? Peace on the horizon and you take the moment. Conflict or uneasiness between you and others might not always look like this. But the fact remains, God calls us to be peacemakers. In John 8, there's an occasion where Jesus finds himself right in the moment of a quite a confronting moment of hostility, actually. The religious leaders are trying to cause a bit of a scene. They're trying to trap Jesus. But he, in this moment, teaches us an incredible lesson in peacemaking. Only Jesus could do that. Let's read it together. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and, Jesus, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who began, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. How incredible that Jesus convicts every single one of them, and yet there is peace. Let's look more closely at Jesus' example as a peacemaker in this situation. Firstly, I notice that Jesus, as a peacemaker, practices patience. As peacemakers, we should practice patience. When the Pharisees and teachers of the law questioned Jesus, it says, but Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. In the New King James, it says, he wrote on the ground as though he did not hear. Can you imagine how frustrating that was for the leaders? They're asking him a question and it's almost as though he's ignoring them. But I don't think that's what he was doing at all. I believe he was taking a moment to assess the situation and form his response. In Proverbs 14, 29, it says, Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. In other words, pause, take a breath, and don't shoot from the hip. 
when I was a teenager, I played a lot of netball. I had some really great coaches and some not so great coaches. And after one training with a not so great coach, I was quite grumpy. And I thought the best way to deal with my grumpiness was to vent some frustration with a friend via text. And so I wrote my message explaining exactly how I felt about that training. And then in my haste, I did not send it to my friend, did I? I sent it to my coach. <laughs> And that is what I call a display of folly and an opportunity to engage in peacemaking. <laughs> Peacemakers do not rush into conversations. Peacemakers practice patience. And I might suggest that we do this through prayer. Prayer grounds us and prepares us. It flips our perspective and it gives us peace that we may be able to then extend peace. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground. In our frustration, offense, anger or hurt, May we be people who first stoop down and pray for grounding. If we go into a conversation with an aggravated or defensive heart, then we probably will not see the fruit of peace. In the words of the English poet Francis Quiles, blessedness is promised to the peacemaker, not to the conqueror. Rushing in, can make a point, rushing in to make a point can get in the way of the person on the other side. However, Jesus is always patient and he's always people-focused. James 3, 17 to 18 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Taking the time to pray helps us to gain wisdom and perspective in order to produce peace. Pray before you enter a conversation with someone. Pray before you send a text or an email. Talk to God instead of venting to someone else. Always pray. Seek God for courage and for wisdom as you engage in peacemaking. What is one relationship you could commit to in prayer to give grounding, stability, and patience? I love how God's probably doing that to us already, isn't he? When we talk about something like this, those names just come to mind. What relationship could you commit to in prayer to give grounding, stability, and patience? Secondly, the thing I noticed about Jesus is that peacemakers promote unity. Remember in the story where Jesus says, whoever is, the first, um, whoever is without sin can cast the first stone. Here he's basically leveling out the playing field. He's making everyone equal. In verse 9 it says in the New King James Version, Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Jesus lovingly and peacefully convicts every single one of them. And it is interesting, oh sorry, and it is realizing their own failings that the crowd then leave one by one. Jesus in this action is commanding humility. He is causing the crowd to see in, their, in his eyes that none of them are better than the woman standing in front of him. Humility is the means to unity. In Philippians 2 verse 1 to 3, Paul writes to the church of Philippi, therefore if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others." Paul is saying it straight right here to the Church of Philippi. Be one, be humble. However, unity does not mean uniformity. In our ELC lecture the, um, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the Church of Philippi and how it started with Lydia, a businesswoman, 
a slave girl and a Roman jailer. How much more diverse could you get? Yet Paul writes to them, urging them to be united even in their differences, being one in spirit and in purpose. God knows how diverse we are. He created us, yet he still calls us to be united. Paul even goes to the effort to basically call two women out for disunity. In Philippians 4.1, it says, I plead with Iodia, and I plead with Sintichi, you so looked up how to say that, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Like, ladies, please get on. Paul is awaiting a life or death sentence, and yet this is what is important to him. Unity and humility for the sake of the gospel that we should reflect Christ. Peacemakers are willing to have conversations to challenge people for the sake of unity, not in frustration or anger or malice, but out of gentleness and humility, out of love. So when engaging in peacemaking, how do we act with humility for the sake of unity? I would suggest that we go into conversations with gentleness and we aim to come out of them with growth. We go in with gentleness and come out with growth. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. One of the best pieces of marriage advice I've ever received, but also applies to every relationship, is to avoid the words always and never. In conflict, they'll pop up like, You always leave the bath mat on the floor. To which the other may respond, Well, you never put the bin out. The words are probably not, not only untrue, but they're also unhelpful. You know, even if they haven't put the bath, they've put it up once, you know, it's still not always, it's not ever. It just causes an opportunity to fight. But also these things, they attack the character of the person rather than actually the problem. Harsh words can cause us to feel attacked, sparking a defensive response. Going into a conversation with gentleness means going in with humility. Be gentle in your approach and in your response. Secondly, we should leave these conversations with growth as the goal. God is a God of loving correction. As we seek him, he doesn't want us to stay how we are, but to grow to be more and more like him. If we've been wronged by someone, then we grow in wisdom and courage as we engage in peacemaking, having those hard conversations for the sake of unity. If we have wronged someone, then we grow in humility, understanding, and kindness as we seek to see from someone else's perspective. Both sides of the conversation require gentleness. Both sides should result in growth and godly refinement. God calls every single one of us to be peacemakers, and peacemakers promote unity. Thirdly, Jesus shows us that peacemakers choose forgiveness. Back to our story, after everyone leaves, Jesus says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. This woman has literally been caught in the act of adultery, yet Jesus forgives her right there and then. Jesus was perfect. He was the only one left there with the woman because he was the only one without sin. Yet he doesn't condone the sin, but he doesn't condone it, but he chooses not to condemn her either. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We talked at the beginning about the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. Peacemaking isn't the absence of conflict, as we've discussed, but a willingness to forgive and work through differences. However, peacekeeping doesn't actually always require forgiveness. In peacekeeping, we could pretend everything is fine, tiptoeing around certain topics, but in our hearts there's unrest. 
a couple of years ago, Paul and I found ourselves in a heated messenger argument and the words towards us were very unkind, very um, hurtful and quite actually untrue. Um, but we paused together, we prayed, we, we were seeking the Holy Spirit for wisdom on how to go back in this conversation. Uh, and several months later, we saw the person um, and I, I just didn't know how to act. I don't know how to talk to them. I love them, but I didn't know how to talk to them. And I was pretending like everything was fine. And I said to Paul afterwards, "How, how did you go? Like, how did you act normal around them? I don't, I don't know how to talk. And you know, what did you do?" And he was like, "I just acted normal." And in that moment, I realized I was a peacekeeper, and Paul was the true peacemaker. He had forgiven that person of that hurt, yet I hadn't, and that's why I could not act at peace with them in that situation. Paul the apostle, not my husband, says <laughs> that we are to forgive as the Lord, he probably says this too, but we have to forgive as the Lord forgave us. Like the woman in the story, Jesus does not condemn us. We are forgiven through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, reconciled to the Father through him. His command to us is that we would extend that same forgiveness to others. It is certainly not an easy task, but it's only possible when we truly grasp what Jesus has done for us and through his spirit at work within us. To know whether we're fully forgiven someone may require us to ask these two questions. One, am I still thinking or talking about what that person did or said? And two, do I truly want the best for that person going forward? Is there someone you need to forgive in order to be truly at peace with them? Ollie, I'll get you to come up and join me. Look, we've been talking a lot about peace uh, with others this morning. But one thing I've come to realize is that in order to extend peace to others, true godly peace, we first actually have to be at peace with God ourselves. For many of us, it's easy to acknowledge when we've been hurt or offended by someone else, but it's actually really hard to acknowledge when we've been offended or hurt by God. We know He is good, yet it's in our circumstances we find ourselves offended, angry, or simply not at peace with Him. In the Gospel of Luke, we read about Jesus making peace with the will of the Father. He says, Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is making peace with the will of the Father in that moment. It's not easy. In fact, he's in such deep anguish that he sweats blood. Yet, knowing and trusting the Father means he is able to make peace. You know, sometimes we pray for miracles, for healing, believing God will come through, and then we, he doesn't move how we think he will. And we leave disappointed, maybe angry at him. Sometimes we believe we've heard God and his leading, and then we find ourselves in turmoil, or questioning his plans for us, or if we even hear him at all. Sometimes when our hurt, we feel abandoned, sometimes rejected, asking God, where are you? You know, last year there was um, an incredible pastor in Australia who passed away. Um, and I just, I couldn't deal with it. Uh, I struggled for weeks. I couldn't understand why God didn't heal him. He had so many prayer warriors praying for him. He was a weapon for the gospel and only in his mid-40s. I was carrying hurt on behalf of his family, grieving for them. I was definitely not at peace. And I've said this so many times without crying, but here we are. <laughs> If God didn't heal him, I had very little faith, a little faith that he was going to heal anyone else. And so in that time, I couldn't even pray for other people. I reached out to Mari, who leads our ministry rooms team, and she was my leader at the time. And she spent time praying with me. And it was actually in acknowledging how I felt towards God that I started to find some healing at that time. And God revealed that the grief was partly due to my own experience. This pastor died in his 40s, leaving behind four children. 
And my dad was also in his 40s when he died, leaving behind four children. Through praying with Mari, we went back to that time. And I realized that there are a few specific moments where I felt completely abandoned by God in those few days after he died. After this time of prayer, I spent some time in worship at home just by myself. And God started showing me these these specific times and places, except this time, Jesus was there. There's one very vivid one where the hearse came up our driveway and I remember running inside. I could not deal with seeing that. And this time when God showed it to me, Jesus was at the doorway waiting to embrace me as I ran in. He was revealing to me where he was at every single moment in that time. And also since then, how he's filled the gap at every stage of my life. While no one can replace my dad, I've consistently had the most incredible father figures through each part of my journey, guiding me, praying for me, supporting me. God not only healed that feeling of abandonment, but he reminded me what he did for me, he will do for them. He will do for those four children. I found peace knowing he is with them, he will never leave them, and he will fill the gaps for them. God is so patient, loving and compassionate. Yet sometimes in our hurt and human understanding, we lack perspective. We hear it and see it from our view. However, God's view is so much grander, so much clearer and so much better. In Romans 8:28, it says, And we know, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God is immutable. He is unchanging and faithful to His Word. So then we must believe that in all things, He does work for our good, even if we fail to see the big picture. Our peace isn't found in what He can do, but in who He is. Not in what He can do, but in who He is. He is the ultimate peacemaker, sending His Son to die so that we would be adopted into His family as sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. How incredible that the promise to us as peacemakers is that we would be called children of God. In 1 John 3 verse 1, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I would love to take a moment this morning just to check our hearts with God. Sometimes I feel we can hold this offense and hurt towards God and possibly not even realize that it's there. And so just if we could close our eyes, just take a moment between you and God. Are you at peace with God? Or is there offense, anger, bitterness or disappointment clouding your view of Him? Whatever circumstances have led you to this place, I believe He can bring revelation, He can bring healing and He can bring hope. Father God, we come before you and acknowledge that you are the true peacemaker. But Lord, for those whose hearts are hurting, whose hearts are not at peace, I pray, Lord, that you would impart revelation of who you are and bring healing as we sit in your presence this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are the God of revelation. I thank you that you are good even when our circumstances are not. I thank you that you are faithful even when others are not. I thank you that you are unchanging. I thank you that you are all powerful. Father, I pray that you would reveal your heart for us this morning. Would you remind us of who you are and who we are in you, sons and daughters of the living God. Give us wisdom to know that your ways, Lord, are not our ways. 
and perspective to see your hand in our circumstances. Give us strength and courage required to be peacemakers for the sake of the gospel, that we would be reflections of you. I pray that you would fill us all with the peace that surpasses all understanding so that we may be able to extend peace. In Jesus' name, amen.